Let's jump into the sermon today, and I want to start by saying this, that uh, I believe that the emotion that is plaguing people more than any other emotion today in our culture is the emotion of fear. Fear is something uh, that can be debilitating and can really hurt you, but sometimes fear is just irrational. And I believe that we are living in this um, fear-saturated culture where you can be afraid of just about anything to the point where there are actually scientific terms for some really interesting fears. And so I actually did a little research on what these fears could be. I wanted to share some interesting ones with you. So first one is this, Plutophobia is the fear of money. It's actually people who are afraid of making money for whatever reason, and if that's you, I can help you out. Um, the, the second one is arithmophobia, and that's the fear of numbers, all right, which is interesting, but there's also octophobia, which is fear of specifically the number eight, which is frightening, I guess. Um, but then there's uh, other ones like globophobia is the fear of balloons, fear of balloons. I, I am afraid of clowns legitimately, but not necessarily balloons. Never thought of that. Um, the second, the next, next one is ampho, no, sorry, ephesbophobia, the fear of adolescence, which I totally get. Um, I got two in my house right now. They're right down here, guys. Sorry about that. And then um, we've got, the next one is amphalophobia, which is the fear of belly buttons, which I was, the more I thought about that one, the more frightened uh, I became. I, I get that. And lastly, phobophobia, which is actually the fear of fear itself, just being afraid of being afraid. Um, and so we are, you know, it's funny, but the fact that these are actual fears just tell us we are living in a very fear-saturated culture where you can be afraid of just about anything. And I want to tell you, you might not be afraid of those particular fears, but all of us deal with the emotion of fear, maybe oftentimes more than any other emotion. Just pick up the newspaper, or the, look at your news feed. You, you can be afraid so easily. But I also want you to know this, that fear is probably the most common emotion that the Bible actually addresses for us, especially in the story of the birth of Jesus. Which is why our Advent series this year is called Fear Not. Because we are taking a look at the different characters in the story of the birth of Jesus and how they dealt with fear. What their fear was, how they dealt with it in this, how Jesus and the good news that he brought spoke directly into those fears in a, in a way that had the power to change them. So this week, we're actually talking about, as you could probably guess by all the things that happened up until this point, the character we're focused on is Mary. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And the story for Mary is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have the app downloaded, all the notes are also on there. And uh, because it was so eloquently read already by Kayla and Mani, I'm going to go ahead and give you my three points, all right? They are the fear, the solution, and the response. So Mary's fear, the solution for Mary, and then her response and how that relates to us today. All right, so let's jump in. First, the fear. We are going to focus today on the fear that Mary experienced, and it may be different than you might think. So let's dive into this passage. 
Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Let me read a few verses in here. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what, the, what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will, be, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. All right, the question I want to answer today is this. What was Mary so afraid of? What was her fear? And like I said, I think it might be different than some of us think because the obvious thing is that she was probably afraid of the giant, bright, shining angel that just showed up inside her bedroom. That would be frightening enough. But if you look closely at this passage, what you will find is that Mary was not just afraid of the angel as much as she was afraid at what the angel actually said to her. So let's look at this a little more closely. Verse 28, And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And that's what made the angel say, Don't fear. So her fear didn't have to do with the angel as much with, as with what the angel said. And what the angel said is this, Greetings, O favored one. Now, we have to understand what this actually means in order to understand why she might have been experiencing fear in this moment. And the word favor, when you translate it into the Greek, which is what the Old Testament original language is, right? you translate it into the Greek, it's the same word used for grace. It's the same word used for grace. And so what's important to know, and I think what some people might miss is, man, Mary must have done a whole bunch of really great things to, to deserve God to come down to her like that and use her like that. But actually, this is translated not, oh, favored one, not like you're my favorite, Mary, but you are, my, but it's, oh, graced one, that God is coming down because of his grace, not because of anything Mary had actually done to deserve it. And of course, that's the whole point of grace. And so one of the reasons Mary feared is because she has this angel come into her room and say that she is favored, that, she, that God is bringing grace to her, and she is thinking to myself, I don't deserve this grace at all. Now, a couple things to give you background about Mary. First of all, she was a woman, and back in that day, women were really lower in society. They didn't have nearly the rights that men had. And uh, they weren't looked upon as highly. It, it was wrong, but that was the way it was. Not only that, but Mary is like a 13 or 14-year-old woman. She is like a teenage girl at this point. And so she's not just a woman, she's a young woman. Uh, in addition to that, Mary lives in Nazareth. Nazareth, uh, we know it because we've read the Bible, but at the time, people didn't know what Nazareth even was. Because Nazareth was like this podunk, no-name town, had about maybe a population of 400 people at the time. So Mary's got this angel coming to her, and she's going, I am the most unlikely person from the most unlikely place 
for God to actually show up to. All right, then you add this in. The angel says, hey, you're going to be pregnant. Okay, so now all of a sudden you've got this young girl, unwed, about to be pregnant. She's like, wait a second, people are going to be asking questions. I live in a town of 400. I learned that that's half the size of Manaway, I guess. Everybody talks, right? In town, everybody's going to be saying stuff. Certainly her family might not even want to be with her anymore. And the guy, Joseph, she's engaged to is never going to be interested in sticking around after he finds out this news. Like, really, Mary right now is, uh, it's almost like social suicide, what's happening to her right now. And she doesn't feel worthy of any of it. I think an, an unwed, single mother pregnant woman in a small town sounds more like a reality tv show than it does someone that god would want to be the central figure to his story of redemption but yet it was and here's what i think mary was afraid of i think her fear was that when the angel showed up to her she goes i'm not worthy you you must be you got the wrong person i'm just an insecure 13 or 14 year old girl i have nothing to offer I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. And I think that's what troubled Mary so much. Her insecurity. Insecurities aren't just with 13 or 14 year olds, although they are. They're with all of us. And I think that's what you see here. And I want you to know that I believe that the thing that so many of us struggle with, maybe more than ever, is this fear of never being good enough. And we all have, no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we work, no matter how successful we are, we always have these haunting thoughts that we're just not worthy. We're not going to measure up. We're not good enough. And you you might even be somebody who's gone through like some really hard things where like somebody has told you for a very long time that you're not good enough. Maybe a parent growing up or whatever. And that's really hard. You may be somebody who's gone through uh, a demotion at work, and man, that, that just hits the pride, and you just go, and you're speaking all these terrible things into your own mind about how you're not good enough. Maybe you're, you've experienced a, a strained relationship with a family member that you have done something that hurts them, and you feel so bad about yourself. Or maybe you've gone through a divorce, and you feel about this little because of what's happened and you just are plagued with these self-doubt thoughts about all the things you've done or couldn't do or shouldn't have or should have done maybe you you have a, a child that you raised to become like a certain way that you were hoping they would become and they have not hit that point yet and you wake up in the middle of the night and you are going i can't believe i blame myself for all the things i did or didn't do for that child Fear is real for a lot of us. And I think there are some people who just really struggle with low self-esteem to the point where they're always thinking, I am not enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not skinny enough. I'm not successful enough. I don't have enough. I don't have enough money. And there's just this cry for more because we feel like we're just not enough. And I think if it gets to, to a bad point, it almost gets debilitating. Well, I don't know if there's, there's people who have social anxiety where somebody just looks at them wrong and they're like, oh, they hate me, you know? And I think that's what fear does. Now, I gotta be honest with you. There's, um, this, this is something I struggle with. That's probably why I'm passionate about it. And I don't know about you, but it's, it's in the middle of the night that it's the worst. You get woken up out of a sleep. Kids probably don't know this as much as adults do, but you get woken up out of a sleep 
And sometimes what the enemy wants to do is just put all of these thoughts in your mind about all the ways that you failed that day, all the things that you're not measuring up to. And I've had these moments, not all the time, but I've had these moments in the middle of the night where there's these, I'm just thinking about all the ways that I didn't do what I should have done, all the ways that I didn't measure up as a, as a husband or as a dad or as a, as a pastor, all the things that I may, could have done better or whatever. And it plagues me and in my mind, in the middle of the night, it's the worst time because in your mind, the enemy gets you to this place where it's like, this is not fixable. It's over. You'll, you'll never fix this. You'll never be good enough. And I can get to this place, sheerly, sheer hopelessness, until I wake up in the morning and things are a lot better at that point. But I'm telling you, we, a lot of us experience that. And I think what Mary was experiencing was like, there's just no way I'm not, I'm not good enough for this to happen. Let's, let's camp there just for a second. Now, leads me into uh, the second point, which is the solution. So there's the fear, and then there's actually the solution to the fear. Verse 32, story goes on. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. All right. What I want to focus on here is that he says he will be great and called the son of the most high. The beauty of the story of Jesus coming down to earth is that the most high God came the most low down to us. That a big God became little so that he could be one of us in an effort to actually save us. For Mary to hear the Most High God was going to be in her womb would have been shocking, would have been unheard. There's no way this could actually be happening. But if you understand the incarnation, it's, it's amazing. I still think the best, uh, the best illustration of the incarnation of Jesus coming down is this show called The Undercover Boss. You've ever seen The Undercover Boss? It's a show that my family and I, we, we like to, all the kids to watch because it's pretty wholesome. It, it'll move you to tears if you haven't watched it. But the essential premise of the show is this, that uh, there's uh, a CEO or an executive of a major company, big company. And that CEO goes undercover to be with the employees that work kind of on the ground. So for instance, like, uh, the executive from McDonald's would actually go to a local McDonald's chain and like flip burgers with one of the employees and get to know them really well. And then at the end, and get to know what they need, all their problems. And then at the end of the show, it's amazing because what happens is the undercover boss actually brings in that employee, reveals who he or she actually is, is the CEO, and it's, and it's shocking to them. And then what the CEO does is leverage his power and his authority and his means to actually gift the employee something that has, like, the power to change their life. Like, huge gifts. If you've seen it before, like, they'll give away a car to somebody. They'll give away this great vacation. They'll give somebody a down payment for the house. Or they'll give somebody one of the franchises for their business. Or give them a promotion that will, like, really free them up financially. And it's amazing, and every time they do that, there's like tears and hugs because this, whatever the gift is, is like life-changing for these people. 
And I was thinking about this for the CEO to actually do this and give this gift in a really life-changing way. There's two things that have to be true. First, the CEO has to have love for the employee to do it. You got a desire to do it. Second, the CEO has to have the authority to actually make it happen, right? This is exactly what you see in the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus did exactly this. He came down in the flesh because of his love, but also he had the authority to do it. So this is what I want you to see when it comes to the solution to Mary's fear, to your fear, to my fear. We need to know two truths about Jesus that make all the difference. His love and his authority. His love is in his authority. Let me go back to Mary for a second. For Mary, growing up in the Jewish tradition, she knew all about the Most High God. She knew God was big and holy and so other than her. Like, she respected God and was in awe of God. She also knew how much she did not measure up to a holy God, how much she fell short of, of, of being up to his standard that he had set for her. And so when, when the angel comes into her room, the likely thing that Mary is probably thinking is, oh no, God has found out about me, right? He found out about some of the things I haven't been doing right. He finds out that I've been missing some of those prayers and, and things, and God has now coming down to crush me. He's coming down to judge me. He's coming down to condemn me. And I think a lot of us feel that. That's what God does is he comes down and he shows us, puts us in our place. But that's not what, that's not what we see. But actually, um, Psalm 130 verse 3 says this, Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O oh Lord, could ever survive? I want you to know for all of us, for me, for you, if God kept a record of our sin, we are doomed because the penalty of sin is death. And God would come down and he would just condemn us and crush us because we could never measure up. But the amazing news that Mary was experiencing that we can experience is the angel came to deliver news that God wasn't going to crush her, wasn't going to condemn her or judge her. God was going to actually use his authority to save her. Right? He, that's what he did. And I think that's, that is the beauty of seeing his love and his authority working together. I believe the beauty of the most high God coming the most low to us is so powerful, and here's why. The God of the universe, the most high God, decided to live among us to experience everything we've gone through. Everything we've experienced, the God of the universe came down so he could know. He's experienced challenges and stress and and difficulty he's experienced loss he's experienced all of those things and he even experienced death just like we do but here's the difference jesus never messed up he never once sinned he never did anything wrong he measured up perfectly to the standard that God set because he was God. He wasn't perfect to make us all feel badly about our imperfections. He was perfect because, listen, only a perfect, most high God had the authority to come down and die, and, and die the perfect sacrificial death for us because he had both love and a desire to do it, 
and the authority to actually make it happen so that when he died, because he was God, it worked, right? His death means he paid for our sins, that if we would give our lives to Jesus, we belong to him forever. We're freed from them. That is the good news that calms Mary's fears. Now, um, the cross of Jesus Christ is amazing because what we see at the cross is that Jesus died a death he didn't deserve. Right? He died a criminal's death. He didn't deserve it. And he had all the authority in the world. He had the authority to actually snap his finger at any moment and just stop it. Like, hey, I'm God. I don't have to go through with this kind of death. But it's not what he did. He went through with it to the point of all the way dying on the cross for our sins because he knew that only the most high God had the power to pay for our sins. So he had the love to do it and the authority to actually pay for it, and that's what makes all the difference. Um, Colossians 2.14 says he canceled the record of our charges, charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Our record he took on himself so that we could have him forever. So what I want to do is go back to this fear for a second. You know, we talked about Mary's fear was, I'm not worthy enough, I'm not good enough. It's the same fear that sometimes debilitates us. We're not good enough, we don't have it all together, we can never measure up. And here's what I want you to know, there are two, there are two things that kind of speak to that fear that you need to know. When you have those fears of, I am not good enough, here's what you need to say. It's true, right? I am not good enough. Just, just like relax and just own it. You think that's the truth. None of us measure up to the standard that God has set. We don't measure up to the standard we set for ourselves. We don't measure up to the standard that other people give us or the, the people on Facebook that look like they have their lives all together. We can never measure up to God's standard. That's the first thing you have to just admit. I'm not good enough. But the second thing you have to admit is that God is good enough, that Jesus is good enough. So I want you to know, God didn't come down to Mary because she was good enough. God came down to, came down to Mary because he was good enough. Jesus didn't give his life for you and me because we were good enough. It's because we weren't good enough to save ourselves. We needed someone to do it for us because it wasn't possible to ever be enough on our own. But through Jesus, you can be everything that you've ever wanted to be. Last thing I'll say is that it doesn't make you perfect, right? You're gonna struggle still with fear, but because he is perfect, his perfect love, the Bible says, casts out fear. He's the only one who, who loved perfectly. And then the passage goes on in verse 32 uh, and 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give, him, give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And listen to this. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. And I could say a lot about this, but all I want to say is this. Jesus had the authority to pay for sins, for your sins, but he also has the, he has the authority now forever over your life, both in this life and the next life. And you are a part of a kingdom that is never going away if you know Jesus as your savior. And here's what that means. That means one day, even though you wrestle with your fears now, one day you will be a part of a kingdom where fear and the word fear doesn't even exist anymore. 
It's gone because of what Jesus has done. That leads me to the last point, which is the response. I think once you wrap your mind around what Jesus has done for you and the way he can, he can calm your peace through what he's done, there's only one response. And we respond actually like Mary, like Mary responded. So I want to look at this. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? It's a good question. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Here's how it's going to work. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is in the sixth month with her who was called barren. That's what we talked about last week, if you're here. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want you to see Mary's response here. And I want you to keep in mind as she responds to this, all the things that are probably going through Mary's mind. She's in a moment where she's going, wait a second, I'm about to be pregnant for nine months. Like, I, I have people that aren't going to understand this. The whole town's going to be talking. Not sure if my, my fiance is actually going to stay with me or not at this point. And it's going to be hard. I've never been pregnant before. This is going to be a wild ride. All of that is going through her mind. And yet at the very end, she goes, I'm a servant of the Lord. May it be to me according to your word. I, I'm amazed by Mary's response. And I think it's the same response that we should have. Uh, this Christmas Eve, and every Christmas Eve we typically do this, we actually share the Christmas story out of the Jesus Storybook Bible because it is a great resource, especially for kids and our services are family friendly on Christmas Eve. If you don't have this for your kids, you need to get it. And this is the, the part that we just read. This is what they say in the Jesus Storybook Bible. I love it. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see. And she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. You know, I love that. So Mary trusted God more than her eyes could see. I think that's what God's calling us to do today. I think that's the response that we have. When you understand what Jesus has done for you, you then turn to him and go, wait a second, if you've had the authority to pay for sins, you can have the authority over all of my life, over everything. Because once you give your life to Jesus, it's no longer your life anymore. It's his life. It's his way. And by the way, that's the best thing, right? It, you know, when we try to do, keep doing things our way, we can go for so long, but it never really happens the way we want it to happen. But now your life belongs to him, and his way is always better. And I was thinking about this. Mary is about to enter into this really hard, unknown season of pregnancy and morning sickness and pain and not being able to sleep. You know, I may have had a wife who has gone through pregnancy before. I know it's not an easy thing at all. But this is what Mary was focused on as she's thinking about this. And here's what I want you to know. What God is calling you to do may not be easy, but it's always best. Because at the end of the, the day for Mary, she was going to give birth to the Son of God who would save his people from their sins. And I want you to know there's a couple ways that we could surrender to the Lord today. First of all, 
if you are um, a follower of Jesus, if you know Christ as your Savior, you call yourself a Christian, my challenge to you today is, are there areas of your life that you need to surrender to Him? A lot of times we're really good at surrendering certain parts, but then there's always parts that, man, we're just holding on to with like a kung fu grip. So the question is like, what areas of your life do you need to surrender to the Lord? It may be really hard, but it's always best. It's always best. That's, that's, that's why Mary was able to respond. I'm, I'm your servant. I'll do whatever you want me to do. But then the other one is this, is if you are here today and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you're exploring. If you're here, I feel like you're here for a reason. And it could be that God is asking you and showing you that because of his love for you and his authority to actually save you, that maybe you should give your life to him. Maybe for the first time, surrender your life to him, giving over the keys to him because it is the best way to live. He'll never let you down.